0: On this episode of the Hyperfast Agent Podcast, Dan and Carrie present at the 2020 Hyperfast Sales Summit. Listen in as they share eight strategies for business growth, no matter the market. We hope you enjoy.
2: So this has been a challenging year for a lot of people, I'm sure. We have increased our business. We've increased the number of development deals we've done, number of agents on our team, um, you know, number of, of people we've impacted globally. And we want to share with everyone today the eight secrets, the eight strategies we've used this year that I think apply in any market that can help you grow in a, you know, Small market, big market, down market, up market, sideways market, you know, you name it. No matter what the market is doing, transactions are, are always happening. There's, there's closings are happening every day. Buyers need to buy homes every day, sellers need to sell homes every day. And we're gonna run through what has worked for us to grow our business no matter what the market is doing. So secret number one, which is the kind of the theme of this whole event, is Deciding to pivot, not pause. So I remember back in the second week of March, coronavirus started to become a thing in the U.S. I, I actually first, the first time I heard about it was in January. I was at an event and uh, Josh uh, Dorkin, who's the guy who started Bigger Pockets, if anyone listens to that or heard that, like showed me something at the event, like, this thing's going to be big in the U.S. I'm like, nah, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm um, going to so keep doing what I'm doing. And uh <laughs> You know, month and a half later, he turned out to be right. Carrie actually had just left to take the kids to Florida for a couple weeks, for two weeks, and drove down there with your mom, right? She was with
0: you. I was taking them to Disney. Okay. So imagine you have three children in the car that you've been saying, "We're going to Disney! We're going to Disney!" This was March fourteenth.
2: Right. So I think uh, she was down there, and the weekend was kind of. Fine. I was I was gonna fly down a week later, and that, that first weekend was was normal. But then by like Sunday night, everything had shut down. Uh, I I told Carrie, I'm like, look, things are different. Like they, they closed restaurants, and I think you know more more closings are, are happening. And they they say we can't go to the office, and you know all sorts of stuff is, is happening. And I told her like, look, we need to start booking our appointments on on Zoom.
0: Wait, before we talk about that, can I say one other thing? Sure. Okay, so I... What is it though? It's a tangent, but it's an important tangent. Okay? All right. (laughs) It's not that important, but I feel like I have to share with you guys. So I'm in the car with the kids, with my mother. My mother is worried about my father and Disney closed down. And so then we have to tell the kids we're not going to Disney. Then on the way there, There was one night where we had to stop at like 12, 12 hotels. It was to a point where I was welcoming a Motel 6. Like everything, he was starting to tell me what was happening here, but I'm observing it on the road and people were like fleeing where they were and trying to get where they wanted to be because they were afraid that airports were closing. I dropped my mom Mm. off in Orlando and she's like sobbing because she doesn't know when she's going to see me again. And at that point, we were starting to hear, like, all planes might be grounded. So this was like, and then I get a call from Dan, and this is the information he's telling me about what needs to happen in our business.
2: Yeah, so some of that happened, some of it didn't. Like, you know, they never really grounded airplanes, but there was talk of that, of course, and people were (laughs) kind of operating out of almost 9-11, post-9-11 fear. I still remember, you know, I was at the Naval Academy when that happened, but it was very reminiscent of that for me. I said look we need to at the very least switch appointments to Zoom. And Carrie was not not thrilled with that.
0: Please God no. I was yeah, like well, what and,
2: and there's a very good argument you know she had is that conversions are much harder on online traditionally especially when you've been doing it for years in in person like it's it's much harder to sit down on Zoom, with a buyer and seller, or, or buyer or seller, right, and 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 talk to them about their needs and what you can do then face to face. It's just it's just much, you know, much much harder, I think, and and um, or at that point maybe it was maybe more people are used to it now.
0: Our conversion statistics were scary, right? So were I was they? like, yeah, oh yeah, like I was looking at it like, oh my gosh, if we have an in person meeting, here's our conversion rate. And if we have a phone call, here's our conversion rate. And we hadn't tested Zoom on a big scale. And so when Dan was saying, hey, we really need to pivot, I was in the, well, let's just pause for a second mode, quite honestly. It was very very scary for me because I was thinking, well, what will happen if we do this, right? And what are the consequences for our ultimate success?
2: Yeah, so we, we redid our script for the ISAs for how they book appointments on the phone. It, you know, the traditional closing question that, that Dustin and his team would use is, you know, so does tomorrow work for, for an appointment or is Thursday better, right? Give them two alternatives that uh, are what you want. So that it shifted from, would you like to meet in our office or is Zoom better? That became the new close, right? Both alternatives were acceptable. To us and you know and could help the buyer and seller we put out a training video uh for our agents we actually put it up on youtube and it's it's uh you know it's just a 30 minute screenshot of me walking through zoom and um it, it ended up being one of our highest viewed things on youtube but you know our team really needed that use that to learn how to do the, the appointments on zoom we gave buyers, the option of you know seeing homes virtually. We started doing FaceTime live open houses and, and that kind of thing. So those are a number of the changes we n- made initially. I think we've got some stats on the next slide of, of what happened. Yeah. So we, we, we did the appointments on Zoom, retrained our ISAs and agents, virtual showings. Uh, we started doing more webinars instead of seminars. So for four or five years, we've done uh, at least two times a month. We'll do... Uh, in-office first-time buyer seminar, that changed to webinars um, and that's been going well, both from just collecting emails and actually getting people on the platform to educate them about buying a home. So we made that change and you know, I think on the next slides where we actually have the, the statistics, yeah. So the week before the lockdown, we did 75 appointments. Uh, the week after we did 72. Over, over half of those, if you go back, Oops. over half of those we're on Zoom. So had we not made that shift, you know, had, had we decided to know conversions are lower on Zoom, let's just stick to the in-person, you know, we would have gone from 75 to 36. So that would have been pretty bad. You know, this this office we're sitting in, like it's not cheap, all these people you see, I mean, it, it, there's overhead, like we can't just take a 50% whack in our, you know, Future pipeline, you know, the new appointments represent business three to six months out typically, so that would have been really bad. So this this shift really helped us maintain what we were at. You know, April we saw the normal amount of closings, which that pipeline was probably already baked into the to uh, the, the numbers when this happened. But then June, July, September we set records. We hit 100 deals in June, first time ever, then 110 in July. We did 100 again in September. You know, so 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 it worked. And and we actually decided to to grow the team and we did not cut back on marketing. You know, we we trimmed things we didn't need, which everyone I think should always do. Like there's this quote from Benjamin Franklin about little little leaks are what sink a ship, right? So I think as your business grows, the small things start to add up. And, you know, if you find 500 bucks here, 500 bucks there, you know, a thousand bucks a month, all of a sudden that's $12,000. Well, that's that's a lot of money in one year, right? All that little stuff adds up. So we cut some of the stuff we didn't need, obviously not being in the office, we were able to cut some things, but marketing didn't get cut. Marketing actually expanded and ISAs expanded. I think at the beginning of the year we had five or six ISAs, and now we're at 12, 11.
0: 11 or 12, yeah. Yeah. And And we're hiring. Appointments
2: have gone, you know, that first week after lockdown, they were at 70-ish. Now we're at 110, 120, 130 new appointments a week, more agents on the team. And, and, you know, to me, it, it all stemmed from that initial decision not to operate out of fear, but What can we do to mitigate, adapt, you know, i.e. pivot, right, instead of pause?
0: Completely. Okay, this next one, if you know me, you know that I am always trying to put myself in the room uh, with people who are really focused on growth. And in the beginning of our careers, we got to be in rooms like you're in right now that were really focused on real estate, right? but as we evolved, it became harder to put ourselves in the right rooms. And so you see people on this slide, like Tony Robbins, Gary Vee, Billy Jean. Does everyone know who Billy Jean is? Okay, if you met him at our first event, I'm sure you guys follow him. He's hilarious, amazing. Russell Brenton, he's the owner of ClickFunnels. And then Grant Cardone, who you guys got to meet at the event as well. These are the kind of people that are innovators in their field right? Whether it's video marketing that they're focused on or actual selling that they're focused on or content production, they're the industry leaders in what they're doing. And so Dan and I have invested a tremendous amount of money. You heard Chris to say hundreds of thousands of dollars yesterday. We're in the same boat. And there's a story that I think would be fun to have Dan share about the first time we made The first a big, time we did it? a big financial decision about our growth.
2: Yeah. So that would have been in 2015, I believe. We uh, had just moved into the ground floor of this office, you know, has started to, um, you know, we became independent broker team owners. And, you know, so so a lot of stuff was new, right? We were growing this office, this team. Carrie was was pregnant with our first child, Braden, who's, who's now five, but... So a lot going on, uh, a lot more financial responsibility, and we decided to go to Unleash the Power Within Tony's event in uh, where was it in New, New Jer- Jersey? Yeah, New Jersey, up up near New York, in March or early March, and we had to take the train to get up there. And there's almost no, you never have to buy the, that that ticket early to get there because there's just so many trains almost every hour from DC to New York, so we waited till last minute but there was like snow and all this stuff so like half the trains got canceled we weren't able to get on one at night and and we came back from union station i was like wow this never happened uh the only way to get up there to make this event is to get on like a 5 a.m train which it was already like midnight and this i don't know if this is worth it 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 just doesn't make sense and um i was kind of hoping carrie would would, like let me off the hook and just us not go (laughs) That didn't happen. So we <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, really quick, how many of you have been to Unleash the Power Within? Life changing. Like, yes, thank you for celebrating on Zoom. Yes. Guys, I was like, no, we have to go. And actually, it wasn't midnight. It was like 1 30 in the morning when we were in the cab going back. And he's like, yeah. This is insane. We don't even know if we're gonna get on. It was still snowing. So I'd like, but we're gonna try.
2: We ended up getting there and and yeah, it was tired the first day, but we got through it. Carrie walked on fire with Brayden in her stomach. That was cool. I loved it. And then we, we went from hot coals to like walking in snow to get our shoes in this big bin where they had them all. So it was even more uh, dramatic. dramatic than, than normal. <laughs> and, you know, they kept pitching this program, Tony, Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership Program, throughout the event where you get to hang out with tony and his wife sage go to all their events uh, for a year and it was like you know 200 people in the program so there'd be smaller events where instead of 10,000 it was just 200 and i thought oh that'd be pretty cool and then they, like, they get to the price tag and i think it was 80, yeah i think it was less than but not much less it might have been i want to say it was like 70 for the first person and then like if you had a, if you were a couple, the second person got to do it for 50 maybe, so it was like 120 plus, you have to, you still have to pay to travel in the hotel and all that for the event, so it, yeah, it ends up being like, if you do it all, it's like 200 grand, and um, I, some I of you were like, I don't know, unless you, yeah, it was more, more than that, it was more stuff though, it was spread out over a year, and like, it's like 12 events, and you know, some one-on-one time with Tony, which is hard to get. And I thought, ah, that'd be really cool. Uh, maybe, maybe if I tell Carrie, uh, I'm, I'm all, you know, I want to do it. She'll, she'll be like impressed with my commitment to, to growth or whatever. But, but then not want to do it because it's so much money. And so I'm like, Carrie, I think we should do it. And I, I thought she would just say no, right? And she didn't. <laughs> so then we were I'm like,
0: yeah of like jumping up and down where do we sign and he's like you're not worried at all i'm like no it's gonna be amazing he's like well shit (laughs) that didn't go how i thought
2: (laughs) so it was i mean it was really it ended up being an amazing program though we got you know one-on-one time with tony got to ask him business questions he's not a real estate specific coach but just being in that environment seeing other successful people really they pull you forward they motivate you you know you hear the stories of someone who went from you know, 100,000 to a million to 10 million of income, and it makes it more real. And, you know, we, we saw our, our income double in the next year from doing that program. And he wasn't even really a real estate coach, although we did get to ask him a lot of great real estate specific questions, him and, and Jay Abraham and some other people that are, you know, gurus in, in marketing and business. So that was, uh, you know, our first foray into it. And now we've, we've done, more things like that. I'm in a, another group called Go Bundon. So we, I've gone to Funnel Hacking Live with uh, you know Russell Brunson and learned from him. We had Grant Cardone come here two years ago. I actually uh, went to one of his masterminds in August back in or uh, was that in Brecon- uh, in Denver. So I got to hang out with Grant Cardone for two days, and, and um, that was that was a, a ton of fun and just. Yeah, watching what other people are doing as the market shifts has been quite informing and helped us bring stuff back to our business.
0: Well, I think a key lesson is sometimes to put yourself in the right room, there's risk. Right. And that was ultimately for us, $200,000 at that time was a huge risk. It was a like, oh, no, like we just signed this. Now we're like, how? How are we going to make this much money to have it be worth it, right? And so ultimately, every time we've made that choice, it's paid us back tenfold, right? And I've always told you guys, put yourself in the room with people who have already been where you want to go, right? So look at the people. I remember back in my first, first couple of weeks at Remax, those of you who I've talked to about this... My Remax office was shaped like a big circle, right? And I always had a mentor. Like when I worked for NVR, I had a mentor. When I worked selling new home condos and managing the sales teams, I had a mentor. Then I got to Remax and I was walking around this circle trying to find a mentor and nobody wanted to mentor me. Oh. Right? I I literally would be like, "Okay, I just know that if I could get this one question answered, I could be really successful, like I could do this. But nobody wanted to be the person, like nobody would make eye contact with me besides the people who were doing what? No business, they were happy to help me, but they were not the people that I needed advice from, right?
2: They have a lot of time.
0: (laughs) They have a lot of time on their hands and they're very friendly often because they're real estate agents. But the problem for me is that I understood that I wanted to follow somebody and take the advice of somebody who had already done what I wanted to do, right? And so when you see these pictures, it's always been about finding the people who the way they think, it's not necessarily that they're doing the exact thing, right, but that's even more helpful. It's that the choices that they're making in life, like I couldn't have a mentor who I didn't also value the life they had because it wouldn't make sense to me, right? So all of these people for different reasons
1: hey hold that thought do you want to get a hundred tips for free from my best selling real estate book the hyper local hyper fast real estate agent if you do go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download a hundred of my best tips today again that's hyperfasttips.com you can download a hundred tips on how to grow your business get more clients deliver more value to more People go to hyperfasttips.com.
2: So, ready, fire, aim. You know, before everyone starts saying, "Oh, you got, you, you got a word wrong," it's not a typo in the uh, in the slide. That's a philosophy that I try to to live by: ready, fire, aim. So, you know, I think you need to be able to quickly assess situations, take action, and then make course corrections. And actually. First, read this principle in I think what's the millionaire mindset book by Harv Ecker. And you know, the, the concept is is pretty simple. If you wait for the perfect solution, you're you're always going to be waiting. Right? The people that get ahead, that rise to the top are willing to, to take a little bit of a risk. And you might be wrong, but really the only way to find out if you're wrong is to is to take action and and measure the results. Another, another way I like to illustrate this story, it goes back to my days on submarines. For, for those of you who don't know, I used to be in the Navy and drove nuclear submarines, which I vaguely remember parts of that life. It seems very, very long ago, but um, maybe I've compartmentalized it. Okay. But the, the most dangerous time on a submarine, typically, like you know, unless you're under attack, which we never were, but um, the most dangerous time, typically in routine submarine operations, is going from a couple hundred feet down to periscope depth. All right when you make that transition, you're you're getting to you know somewhere around a hundred to like sixty feet below the surface and sticking a periscope up. And there's a there's a lot of risk because you don't really know what's up there completely. And if you hit something, the submarine could sink, the ship you hit could sink, like a lot of bad stuff can happen. The way, the way you do it, you know, you, you, you kind of do some maneuvers down below the water, you're using sonar to listen, right? And that that tells you sort of what's out there. It's not, it's not perfect. It's not active sonar, so you're not sending signals out and hearing what it bounces off of, because that would give away the position of the submarine, it's passive sonar, you're just listening. So big merchant ships with engines on warships, like we can hear those all day long. If they turn their engine off for some reason, which they normally don't, but if they did, we can't hear them. If it's a sailboat, we definitely can't hear them because they don't they don't make noise. And I've definitely remember coming up pretty close to sailboats and um, you just don't know they're out there, right? So you, you sort of have a picture of, of who's, out there and, and generally you want contacts on your left to be drifting to the left, contacts on the right to be drifting right. If you can picture that, if if it's the other way around, that's not good. They're, they're potentially coming at you. So you get up the periscope depth and get the scope up and you start making, you know, sweeps, visual sweeps, looking for things you weren't expecting, verifying your picture. And if, if a contact is, you know, let's say it on the right, drifting left, you got you gotta turn over to the right, typically, all right? You don't know right away what the best solution is, because there is a solution that's best that will put the maximum distance, and there's there's a formula you can figure it out. Not, I won't kind of bore you with all of that or pretend that I remember, but you know you, you know you got to turn right, right? So you, you give the helm the order like right full rudder, and you don't give the helm a course to steer, right? You you're, you're doing the fire part, take action. Get the ship, get yourself, get your organization moving in the direction you know it needs to go. And then as he's, you know, the helm is putting the rudder over to the right and the ship is turning, then you can study the, the situation and figure out the perfect solution and give a a course. Because it's going to take a minute or two for the submarine to get over to that course anyway. So that's the time you should be figuring out, you know, the perfect course, not when you're still driving into a particular dangerous situation. And I think the same is true in your business. Like, you know what you need to do to get more leads. You know what you need to do to convert higher. You know what you need to do to scale your operations, right? You've got a general idea. So start taking those actions. Take that next most important action. And then I think on the next slide here, you can keep going. Oh yeah. So take action, analyze the situation, track what's going on, and then adjust. Make make adjustments along the way, right? So launch that new marketing program. Look at your cost per lead. Look at how well they convert and then tweak it, right? Tweak, tweak your ad, tweak your, 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 your script, tweak your follow-up. But you know, don't wait till you have all that perfect or you'll be waiting forever.
0: And the other quick thing I'll add to that, make sure that you don't analyze before the result would likely come in. It's a huge problem people make or problem people have in this business, right? Where some of you are super action oriented, but then you don't have the patience to let the money come in from an activity that you've done. And so you have to sometimes decide when you're taking action, I'm going to take action fast. I'm going to test this. But before, you're, before you pull out, you have to give it the time to make sense right? And I probably would say in my career, I've had the opposite challenge in that I have a hard time giving up on things. If you know me, you know that about me, right? I'm like, no, if we just tweak this, if we just, but I do analyze and I do study the numbers all the time, right? So it's really important that you do that in your business to have growth. Oh, we we have babies waving on Zoom. I love it. I love it. Okay become uncomfortable or become comfortable with the uncomfortable. Can you tell, even looking at this slide, I'm uncomfortable. So I'm going to tell you guys a story. Um, You guys know that I love in person, right? I love talking and being able to connect and with buyers, with sellers, with our past clients, Like that is my comfort zone and that's what I love, right? And so when, I'm just going to point this out on the screen right here. Do you guys see my face? Do I look comfortable right here? <laughs> how uncomfortable do I look?
2: Well,
0: I'm going to tell you about the moment leading the up to there. this. Like, So what I decided was, oh my gosh, we don't know how long this is going to last. And I don't want to leave my clients not having connection during this time. I don't want to leave them in a position where we're not giving them opportunities to improve their mindset where we're not contributing to their life. Right. And in a weird way, when we have client events, I feel I get to have an impact on that. So for some of you and some conversations I've even had this week, I've heard like, after I close out the transaction, I kind of run away. I don't really know how to maintain the relationship. Right. For me, It's the opposite. I'm like, okay, now these people have given me a window into their souls. Like a lot of you know, we're also therapists, right? Yes, okay. So for me, I wanna maintain that closeness. And some of my clients, I haven't been actually working with buyers or sellers for a few years now, right? But some of my clients 10 years later are coming back. So all of this to say, uh, we had to make some difficult decisions about not having some events That we normally would have. And so when we were brainstorming, how do we still contribute? How do we still add value? One of the things I decided to do was reach out to some people who are very impactful to me. One of those people was JJ Virgin. Now, does anyone know who JJ Virgin is? Okay. Health coach, William. I love you, buddy. William knows all about her because he was on the call that night and has done a lot of our our content writing about some of her stuff but she is incredibly resilient her 16 year old son was hit by a car and was in a a position where within seconds of death for hours if that makes sense and she talks about the choices she made in that moment and how it changed her life right And when I read her book, I was probably pregnant, since I'm always pregnant. I think I sobbed through like three quarters of it. I was having a hard time seeing the pages because it was so moving to me. So she's somebody that, to me, it was a major risk to even ask her, which some of you are like, really? No, I was like intimidated to ask her to be willing to do this event, right? And then I believe in energy. And I believe that energy and technology sometimes have an interesting relationship in my life. Okay. So seven minutes before we were going live, I was like, okay, these are all the things about her. I'm getting all ready. And my laptop's plugged in and I try and turn it on and it's dead, but it's plugged in. I'm like, Oh my God, what's happening. Cat's like, okay, she's here. I'm like, okay. uh, My laptop's not turning on. She's like, well, that's weird. Did you plug it in? I'm like, yes, it's plugged in. She knows me very well. Like, no, it's actually plugged in. Like, so next thing I know, I finally get the power back on and I'm having like heart palpitations. I'm like two minutes till the start. I've invited all of our clients. I've invited all of our team members. I invited a couple of you, right? I'm like, oh my God, it's two minutes. So then I go to get on my zoom and my zoom will not let me log on guys, I log on to Zoom every day. I talk to a lot of you on Zoom every week. I'm like, I, I know how to use Zoom. What the hell is going on? I'm super uncomfortable. I'm like max uncomfortable. Now it's three minutes past when I'm supposed to be on. Kat's like, uh, what's going on? She's asking where you are, and she's starting to do paperwork on the screen. Uh. She said, I guess if she's late, I'll do paperwork and make use of my time, or something to that effect, which Kat texts me. I'm like. Oh my God, I still couldn't get on the Zoom. It's seven minutes past when it was supposed to start. Everybody's on there. Kat is on there like sweating it out. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm not really prepared to do this interview. So I go on on my phone. So here I am facilitating this conversation with somebody that I admire, that I've made wait for seven minutes and all of my clients trying to, to manage connection trying to make a difference for everybody who's on the call who might be really struggling. Like how many of you knew somebody, and it doesn't have to be you, but knew somebody that this is probably the most challenging time they ever had in their life because they were so afraid? Anybody? Like terrified. I had friends that were going grocery shopping and leaving their groceries in the the garage and not like transferring bread to another bag because they were convinced the bag was contaminated and they were going to die. Like, this is not something to take lightly, right? So at a moment when I'm trying to reach out to those people who need me, I'm like in personal panic mode and super, super uncomfortable. But right after this, like, um, moment where I'm frowning and freaking out and have the camera like all... I realized, okay, Carrie, you have the opportunity to really bring connection to people. And so this isn't about you. You can't take it personally. And in business, this is so true, especially in our business where some of our personal relationships are choosing other people at times and it can be hurtful, right? This is about giving back to others. So I kept doing it. We did another event with Jason Redmond. He's incredible. His story is absolutely incredible. And so we just kept trying it. We kept trying to add value and it, it worked. I mean, people were coming on. I was getting emails of people saying like this, this meant something to me, how she talked about this or how he talked about that changed what I'm going to do in this situation. So it was, even though it started as something uncomfortable, it became like a lifeline where I felt like I was still giving back in this very, very stressful time.
2: And I think it really it stems from in this, you've probably seen this kind of graph before, but you have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. I talked about this in the opening uh, remarks yesterday. You, you know, if you're, if you're always feeling safe and comfortable, that means nothing's changing in your life, right? You, you have to break through the fear. You see on this graph here, there's the comfort zone then the fear zone. Well, once, once you step outside of the comfort zone, push, past the fear that's where you start to learn that's where you start to grow. Like nobody nobody does anything great without doing something for the first time. And that first time can be scary, but you just have to realize like if you if you fail like so what? The most successful people in the world are in the positions they are in because they simply have failed more than other people were willing to do. It.
0: Completely. Okay, so the think who Well, someone grab Jamie. I want to bring Jamie up because she's a big part of this for me, Uh, for us. When you have a challenge and you start thinking about the how instead of the who, you have a bigger challenge because a lot of times it's the people in our life that actually solve the problem, not the process. Solutions are usually okay. She's, she can't come up right now. But I really wanted her to share some numbers with you guys so you could understand the scale of our team. Maybe Dan can help me guess on some of these.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest difference between between us and, and I started off uh, in this business at Century, Century 21, just across the street, nine years ago. And, and um, yeah, it was a great first year. It made $350,000 uh, in, in net income, sold over $22 million, and that came... Uh, you know, I'm not saying that to brag. I I, I kind of got lucky, right? I, I um, got rejected 55 times from <laughs> big strategy consulting firms, that and and I kept kept interviewing. You know, McKinsey, BCG, and they all kept saying no. And I'm like, well, what do I need to do? What's wrong? Uh, and they said, look, technically, we th- we think you you've got the right problem solving and all of this, and and you could help clients with problems. But part of what we do is selling them our services. We don't think you have the sales skills. So go out and get a sales experience, which is why I got my real estate license. And um, I was a little bit motivated by that to... Uh,
0: <laughs> Does anybody yeah. know my husband? He was a so, little bit motivated when someone said he couldn't sell.
2: So it worked out great. And then I was I was top at that office and then you know, amazing things have happened since. So it, for me, this, this all came out as a result of overcoming a rejection. And that was, that was tough. One thing I've noticed, though, and I I still remember a lot of the the people at that office and, uh, you know, other agents in the area. uh, Most of the successful agents that were making two to three hundred thousand at that time, most of them are still making that amount. Almost all of them, in fact. Like, I, I don't really know any of them that have gotten up to 500. And the only difference is they never hired anybody. Right, still, it's still them or them plus a buyer's agent because they don't want to go out and pay a salary. So they just get a buyer's agent. And now that now they're the assistant for, for them and the buyer's agent. Uh, and that really is the only difference. So Jamie was with us. I, I think she joined us in the fall of 2014. And we had like 10 agents and maybe three or four admin. And that year, 2014, so I think in, in 13, we did 100 deals, maybe, maybe maybe 120 or so, actually. In 2014, with, with 15 people, we did about uh, 200 deals. Well, the next year, 2015, we got up to about 20 agents and 10, 15 support, right? So 30-ish people, and we got to 300 deals. Last year, we, we had maybe 40 agents tops and about 70 80 people total on the team and we got to 660 deals somewhere around there. This year you know we're, we're gonna end the year with six, 60 agents, a hundred team members and hopefully we hit our goal of a thousand deals and, and the really the reason we've been able to grow is because we've been able to surround ourselves by successful people. I think too many times people get stuck, and they think, how do I solve this problem instead of who do I need to get to solve this problem? Because everyone's gonna get limited out as a, as a, as a solo agent or, or small team or whatever. There's only so much you can do. I think for most people, they're gonna hit that, that limit at three deals a month typically, right? And maybe some are like two and some are four or five, kind of depends on the market price point, you know, who you are, the geography you cover. There's a lot of factors. Uh, you know, so that's going to equal. We'll call it anywhere from thirty to fifty deals. There are some uh, superstar agents that can uh, do like a hundred deals. I'm pointing at you. I don't know who you're pointing at. A hundred. Yeah, there's some people that can do a hundred uh, by themselves. But if you stay there, one of three things are, are going to happen. You're you're either going to limit your own growth, right? Because you're going to tap out, or the quality of service you deliver to your clients is going to go down. So you're going to limit the value you create for other people. Uh, And then the final thing you do is you're going to limit the opportunities for other people, right? If if you're at 50 deals, 100 deals, like you can create jobs and opportunities and growth for other other people. So, you know, this isn't just about you and, and your growth. It's more about being able to expand value to more people you know, both your clients and your team members and, and get amazing people that can help you grow, help you solve problems, help you
1: create more value. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Are you a real estate agent in the DMV area or thinking about becoming a real estate agent in the DMV area? Why not join the highest selling team in the DMV? The Carry Scholl team is hiring more agents. We have the best training systems, the best culture, and the best environment to get you to the next level, whether that's starting out and getting to six figures or getting from six figures to 250 or to half a million or even beyond. Go to KeriShullCareers.com. Again, that's KeriShullCareers.com.
0: How many of you guys were in the room when we talked about hiring your first assistant yesterday? Okay, do you hear him reinforcing what I was helping you see in that conversation? Right? So for those of you who weren't there, one of the exercises we did that I really want to encourage you to do, I want you guys to write down how you spend your week. I want you to get really clear on how you're spending your week, because for a lot of you, you need to think about who can compensate, who can step up and do the things that either you don't want to do, you're not very good at doing, you're choosing not to do, or that would make all the difference in your growth right? This is a huge, huge secret to our growth for sure. Your capacity to serve your clients as a solo agent will end at some point. It will end for all of the reasons that Dan just said. Scale is always about having the right people. And some of you say, well, I only want to do X. I only want to do Y. What do you think I hear when I hear people say that. Excuses that they don't have a vision. I hear fear. Limiting beliefs, I hear fear. Because it's only what I believe, after us scaling this incredible team with all these people that you see around you that are so amazing, right? What I believe is that some people think backwards about growth. That's all it is. The reason that they perceive that they don't want to scale is they believe it'll be more stress, more headache. They won't be able to rely on people, like all of these excuses that in in reality, they're just not true. The year we became number one in Virginia was the year we had Braden and I did my first maternity leave, which was five months long. That was the year that we broke a ton of records. And next year, we're going to do 1.2 billion in sales. Watch us. I go on maternity leave in January, right? So this is all about taking those beliefs and figuring out what is the truth.
2: And you you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone, kind of goes back to the last uh, point again. I think many of us as real estate agents, when we start out, we're, we're willing to either work two jobs have less income for the first six months, 12 months, however long it takes to make it work. Then we get to a new level, right? We've gone through the, the learning and growth and, and now we have a, a, a livable wage, right? We're, we're self-employed, uh, don't have a business, but we're self-employed, making good money, but we're not willing to go through that growth zone, break through that new fear zone of hiring more people and being responsible for them. And it, it might... And it should, at first, take a couple months of, of, of more work. Like you might be spending more money on this person, putting more time into training them, and, and actually net less money at first, right? But if you base your decision off of that, you're prioritizing short-term results over long-term results. And, and I think it's, again, challenge yourself. If you're not growing anymore, well, have you stop being willing to get out of the comfort zone. So narrow your focus. Uh, This is pretty close to where we are right now.
0: Some of Um, you went on a tour of the city last night and you may have seen this view.
2: Yeah, so when you focus on key leverage points, you're able to make a bigger impact. Has anybody read my book?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, so that, that really goes through how I sold over 22 million in year one, and I didn't do that by going out and trying to be the realtor for all of Arlington, all 250,000 people. Now, I'd like to claim my strategy was all based on being very, very uh, intelligent, but part of it was the circumstances forced on me. I still had another uh, really good job, and I got my license, thought it would be a side hustle. I'm like, well, I'll just market to my building, right? Uh, There's 189 homes in here. The building's four years old. It's going to start turning over soon. And it really worked. I ended up getting half of every sale that year in that building, which that alone was 10 million or 11 million, somewhere around there. And then every other deal I did was someone I met coming to that building or leaving that building. And they were all moving like right around here. I never went more than a mile except for one deal for a friend who found out I was a realtor. And I, I went to Alexandria, which was like. Thirty minutes away, and didn't know what I was doing. Like <laughs> pe- people, used to make fun of me, like, "Oh, Dan only knows between like Wilson and Clarendon and, and Glebe and and uh, Pierce, which is the street over here." And I was like, "Yeah, I, that's true." <laughs> <laughs> so it works. Like if you if you really go through this process that I've talked about in the book, segmentation, targeting, and positioning. Right? Segment your market. Pick the target segment that you want to work with, right? or you, you want to enjoy the people you work with. So don't pick a target segment that, that you're not going to enjoy working with. Make sure you come up with a way to position yourself to those people, to that target segment of how you'll create a unique value proposition that, that, that really is unique. And, you know, I think, I think, if you walk through that process, it's going to help you really get clarity on, on who you want to serve and how to go after them. And you want to make sure it's, it's big enough that there's some business there. You don't want to get a hundred percent market share of 10 homes. That wouldn't be good, but you don't want it to be too big. And, and really that's going to be determined by, I think, you know, the market itself, your size, uh, the money you want to pour into it. If you're Experienced agent and have a lot of you know, systems to pour into an area. You you can go bigger when you're you're getting new markets. You know when you're first starting out, you may only need to go after 500 homes, 200 homes in my case, and that that may be enough to go out and you know really go out and, and do 10, 20, 30 million of sales. So you know walk through this process both in your market, but in everything you do. So figure out you know where can I apply. The, the most amount of energy and, and, and effort on the least amount of area and get the biggest amount of impact, right? If you think about it, you know, we, there's big, big glass buildings all around us, windows. If you picked a handful of pebbles and threw it at it, nothing would happen. But if you found, if you went to one of the single family homes around here and picked up a baseball and threw it through that small window, it's, it's going to break through it. And that's what you need to do in your marketing, that's what you need to do in building your your, your team and, and your approach to scaling is you know, where can I get maximum leverage? How do I narrow the focus on what's most important? And it's hard as real estate agents, people are pitching us, you know, tons of different things. And many people are, are like a squirrel chasing the the shiny object, and, and they go out and try to be everything to everybody. And when you do that, you wind up not being anything to anybody, right? You have to narrow your focus.
0: So managing multiple stressors at the same time. How many of you guys feel like sometimes it's a struggle to balance your family life and your work life and everything you have going on? Anybody? Thank you. Look at all of these honest souls. So for for me, a big piece of that has always been defining what's the highest and best use of my time and what I'll enjoy doing the most. You've heard me talk about this a lot, but it's simply once you understand that, figuring out what is your ideal schedule. There's things that you're willing to manage, right? And is there some things, all of you, is there some things that you're like, I will not do that. I will not do, I will not clean toilets. Anybody? Okay my hourly rate, it would be a stupid decision for me to clean a toilet. Does everybody get that, right? And if I chose to, to define my life and try and blend everything together, I would have no balance. But when I got really clear about, okay, there are certain things like I did a, a presentation for Virginia women in business a few years ago. And I remember sitting down to think about it. And it was a time when the team was growing really, really fast. And I think I was pregnant with Kiara at the time. So Braden and Kiara are about two years apart. And I was thinking, huh, I feel like my work-life balance is is pretty in order. Like, why is that? And there were a few things that were true. Everybody always wants to have it all. But sometimes in order to have it all, you have to redefine your all. So sometimes your way of thinking is setting you up for failure. And some of you I shared, I lost 45 pounds before I got pregnant again, right? Mm -hmm. And I did that because I realized how I had defined my all, I was setting myself up for failure. And for some of you, the way you're trying to manage multiple stressors right now That's exactly what you're doing to yourself. You're not creating a path for success. So, for me, one of the things I told myself was I want to wake up with my kids in the morning and I want to put them to bed at night. Now, I know this isn't going to happen all the time because once in a while we need a date night, or you guys are in town and I want to go to dinner with you, or like something else is going on, right? But in general, what had happened is I used to exercise in the morning. Anybody else exercise in the morning before children? Then I had children and I went, oh, but I can't exercise and have children. And if I don't wake up with them in the morning, then I'm a bad mom. And if I don't sleep at night, I'm a bad wife. So I have a problem, right? So I was like putting all this stress and pressure on myself to, and I just wasn't redefining my all. So then all of a sudden, when I really looked at it and I hired a coach, which by the way, sometimes to break through what it is that's limiting you, you must have a coach. For me, my coach said, okay, so if it's true that you need to have your kids be part of your morning, right? Anyone else feel that way? Like when they wake up in the day, they want those babies. For me, I want to like drape myself in them and love them, right? So she was like, okay, so we just have to figure out how to incorporate them into your fitness routine. And that totally shifted it because then all of a sudden I could have my all, I could still exercise and losing 45 pounds was actually easy for me. A lot of people are like, oh, it was so hard. No, she told me what to eat. I just listened. Like I didn't deviate from what she said, right? And my kids were incorporated in everything that I did. So I needed to, I was able to figure that out and then figure out how it incorporated in with the team right? So for you guys, I just want to encourage you, put it on paper where the limiting beliefs are. Once I identified, whoa, I have this thing about exercising that I can't do it and be a good mom. That was the belief. I don't have time to exercise and be a good mom. Is that true? No, it's not true. It's not true at all. But I just wasn't getting creative and solving the problem. So a lot of being able to do more is being clear on what you wanna do and then just redefining how you structure your day so you can accomplish it. Make sense? Okay. I'll let you take so this So learn from
2: people who have thrived in different market cycles. I think you know, the last, uh, prior to this year we, we, we had this uh, run where not much changed in many markets for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years even in some markets. So there's a lot of people in a lot of different industries that have had success just riding the, uh, the rising tides, so to say. And for those of you who follow Warren Buffett, you may have heard him say before, you know, when the tide goes out, that's when you see who's really swimming naked, right? Anyone heard that one? <laughs> so I think you need to find people that have not only survived, but thrived in different market cycles like if you hired a coach who got out of the business in 2007 well they didn't experience the contraction right you know they also didn't experience how to generate leads on on Facebook and Instagram and social media right a lot has changed in 10 years if they left uh, the industry in the 90s well they missed the run-up and the uh, early 2000s they never had to do email marketing which is like a really effective follow-up as we all know and and um, you know there are of course some people out there that haven't sold a home in any market that are teaching people how to do it so I think you know you want to be cautious of who you listen to who you get advice from who you invest with like make sure they've done well in all types of of markets,
0: which goes back to my Remax days, guys, I'm walking around the circle and I would, I would literally say to myself when someone started talking to me, okay, before you listen to Joe again, you need to go find out how many homes Joe has sold. What do you guys know about me? Did I do the research? Hell yes, I did. So when I would walk the circle, I would go, oh, pretend you have to go to the bathroom. There's Joe. Joe hasn't sold a home in four years. Do I care what (laughs) Joe has to say? Not at all, not interested. The problem was when I walked the circle, no one who sold homes was ever there, right? Anyone else relate to that? It's like, how do I find somebody that will give me the right advice that has actually been where I wanna go, right? That's the challenging part. So another challenge is thinking you can do it all. Thinking, you know what, I'll just figure it out, right?
2: And you definitely can, like you can take, I think, you know, the eight things we've talked about today and hopefully you all took good notes, paid attention on Zoom or on the, the other platform and, and, you know, watch the recording and study it. Like you can, you can definitely figure it out and do it yourself. That might not be the best solution.
0: So when we think about managing multiple stressors, right, and why that leads to burnout, why that leads to 90% of agents. Did you guys hear my stat from earlier? 90% of agents will not make it a full year in the business. Do you guys realize that? So you guys sitting in the room right now, whenever we hire new agents, all the blue shirts, right? I tell them, here we have an 82% success rate. In the industry, it's 90% that won't make it. 95% won't make it five years that's crazy. I don't know that there's another industry that has that high of a failure rate. So it takes longer. It costs a lot of money when you're trying to just navigate it. And a lot of people won't make it at all. They'll just quit.
2: I mean, trial by error works. Like, you know, people sailed across the ocean and and, and got here eventually. Lots, Lots of people probably didn't make it along the way, but some people did. You know, we can get from Europe to here much, much quicker now, I think, although maybe, maybe not with, Corona, but it's, it's easier to follow people that have done it before, that have been where, where you, know, you are now, but have gotten from there to where you want to go.
0: So one of the goals when we think about how we bring together all of the different elements of the business for you guys is to compress time for you, to shortcut the path to making more money and having the work-life balance that you all want